0: So I lost, I lost everything I had, and so here I was, really? like about thirty years old. I lost every dollar I had. Wow. For me, it was absolute devastation because for me, it took me ten years, of course, to get that nest egg, and that ten years felt destroyed. And then I thought, how on earth am I ever going to make this again? And just, just like everything felt so oh overwhelming, gosh. dude. Like, the, like I, I had a baby on the way. This episode of the podcast
1: is brought to you in part by CastBox. CastBox is my platform of choice when it comes to listening to podcasts, and it has been for over the past three years. I've been listening to podcasts exclusively on CastBox. I find it to be the most aesthetically pleasing and the most organized podcast app. And it seems a lot of other people do as well, with over 85,000 reviews on the App Store and an average rating of 4.8. You can download CastBox on iOS as well as Android. And When you do, go ahead and subscribe to the show there. This is episode number 258 of Building Freedom. This is your host, Jordan Paris. If you've never joined us before, well, you are in for a treat. We have solo episodes where I share a lesson or tactic or mindset shift needed to break free of the chains that bind you to the floor of your potential and I help you break free and reach the ceiling of your potential if there ever even was a ceiling and in our guest episodes i share inspiring stories of people who started out well not so free shackled by all sorts of chains they didn't have freedom of relationship they didn't have financial freedom they didn't have freedom of location they didn't have freedom of time they didn't really have any sort of freedom but over the course of their inspiring journeys, they figured out how to break free and build a freer and fuller life for themselves. And they share those stories and lessons here. So bottom line, if you're looking to build a freer, fuller, more enjoyable life, you're in the right place. And this week is actually a really special episode. Out of just about everyone I wanted to reach out to when I thought of, when I dreamed of restarting a podcast, this is one of the guys that I, I was just, I knew I had to reach out to, like tops of the list. I won't share too much here. His name is John Marty, though. You can find him on LinkedIn, John, and then M-A-R-T-Y. You have to follow him there. If you're someone who has a job, his posts are really going to challenge you, perhaps to start thinking bigger. And I've known John for a couple of years, and I thought I knew his story, but I only knew it to a certain point. Turns out, after I learned, uh, after having this conversation, that my knowledge of his journey, it was really just scratching the surface. And what happened in his life after selling his business, which I, I didn't even know that. I just learned that today. What happened after that floored me. So like I said, I won't share too much. And without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with John Marty. I just can't even believe where you were two years ago when we had a conversation on the phone compared to where you are now. And I started seeing this stuff pop up, maybe like a year ago, specifically on your posts on LinkedIn. That's kind of where I find everyone, that's where I hang out. And out of everyone that I've watched glow up over the last two years, there's two people in particular that really stick out. There's my friend, and and thankfully, now co-founder in a new venture, as of a few months ago, David Riggs, just freaking crushed it over the last few years. When I while I sat on my ass, um, in, in many ways, literally and figuratively, and then there's you, and just so much admiration uh, that I do have, and a lot of respect, man. So props to you.
0: Thanks a lot, man. I, it, it means a ton coming from you, man, because I've seen you and all the interviews you've done in your podcast and how you've grown as well, man. There's uh, that's what we're all trying to do, man. Just just grow. Mentally, grow physically. It's an awesome thing to do, man. That's the best part about all of this is the collaboration of it all.
1: Really? The collaboration. I was gonna say, like, oh, the best part about it is probably that you're just having a ton of fun. Like I see you, you're having so much fun. Yeah. That's well, very obvious. But the collaboration part of it, that's
0: cool too. Yeah, the collaboration. I mean, just the I was telling somebody earlier, it's just this there's uh I spent a lot of nights when I was a little kid playing Monopoly with my grandparents. And I just have these fond memories, like, you know, the strategies of like, you know, hopping around on these properties and landing on St. James Place and having to pay my grandma. This world is so much fun and it's unconstrained. And I think that there's a lot of aspects we can talk about all the, the fun pieces of this, but I wake up, I'm very excited about what I'm doing. And I don't see that ever going away. I think when you get into a new job, There's an excitement about getting a new job and new people and what have you, but then immediately you hit this wall of politics. With this world, there's no constraints. With corporate, I could say, well, how do I grow? Well, the only mental model to grow with an employee mindset is to grow incrementally. I can get a bonus. One one rung of the ladder at a time. One rung at a time. And somebody is dictating that growth for me, and my time is treated as a commodity. And so, I believe in that world that if I just work longer hours, then all of a sudden I'll be able to make more money. And People equate harder work to the eventual success and that's not how it works. Harder work, work, longer hours. And longer hours do not play out in your favor because you have a political landscape. It has nothing to do with how hard you work. It has to do with how strategic you are in that world. And it's still incremental. So no matter how strategic you are, it's incremental. Whereas this in this world of real estate, I've found that I can make money on real estate deals and there's no constraint to how big that I'm dreaming.
1: Yeah. Something that I think James Altucher would call just the ability to skip the line. You're not I, going man, that I, one rung at a time.
0: I love his books. I've read three of them now. He is a thought leader that I, that I look towards for inspiration because he's a no bullshitter. And he talks about the realness of some of the experiences that he went through and failing and, and, and doing well and then failing and doing well. So I I've, I've taken a lot of notes on on Kindle on his books. I have tons of passages that I constantly go towards and reference. Very cool. So yeah. When
1: you talk about politics, I think the first thing that comes to a lot of people's minds when you hear that word is just the you know the regular politics of the world, the political climate, landscape, whatever you want to call it. The Donald Trump, Joe Biden, COVID, blah 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 blah. You're talking about it in a very different way, and. I think about my brother, who's trying to get a job in aerospace engineering for really the past year, and he loves it. It's like his passion, because he enjoys it, he's good at just about everything uh, in that space. He implemented all the strategy, all the tactics in the world. Jordan, what do I do on LinkedIn? How do I type this message? Does this one sound good? Does this paragraph sound good? Oh, what if I follow up with him? I give him all the help. Um, He gets help from so many people. Uh, he's implemented all the strategy, but it doesn't matter. He cannot get a job in aerospace engineering. And it was only until very recently when he was bailed out by a couple of people that had connections that he was able to get that job, no matter his credentials, no matter his grades, no matter the strategy and the follow-up and, and the, the 50 outreaches per day and just like insane. So talk to me a little bit about the politics in in that world, and, and then by the way, we'll, we, are we are going to get there. I want to preface for listeners. We're going to, as usual, uh, we are going to unpack John's journey, how he got here, and, and then we'll even paint before we do that, we'll even paint the picture of where he is right now. but I do want to talk about this the political landscape in the corporate world john
0: yeah it's a it's a fascinating thing i I. We get into that world and we, once again, I mean, as we think about the hard work aspect that that we believe will get us to where we want to be. So we think about success only within a corporate construct. And I often say that people have to, in that world, ask for permission to be who they want to be. And I'm very anti permission And I think you and I both believe in the same thing. And James Altucher believes in the same thing. It's the idea of skipping the line. I have people come to me all of the time and they say, John, you know, I'm stuck here or there. And I say, what do you want to do? Remove the corporate construct for a moment. Remove the fact that you've been stagnating in your role for a moment because of the politics. What do you want to do? Somebody says to me, John, what I've always wanted to do is X. Why are you not doing it? And the first thing they say, or the first thing they try to articulate to me is that they feel like they need to be an expert, or they feel like they need the permission to be who they want to be. And the reality is the world that we live in today allows us across so many mediums to be exactly who we want to be today without anyone else's permission. A girl following on LinkedIn or a girl following on YouTube or Instagram or any locale I now control my destiny. And it's fascinating to me. We can sit in a corporate office and we can be in a round table and we can think about these crazy hierarchies of respect and what have you. And there's no doubt that not all of those things are bad, right? People need jobs and there are great jobs out there and there are great people and inspiring leaders out there in those constructs as well. But the reality is 70% of people don't like their jobs because of the politics. And so we go into these worlds and, and and we say to ourselves, oh man, you know, well, one day I want to be the VP. And you're like, man, that's maybe a 10 year horizon because somebody else is dictating that I have to grow slowly within that construct because Jane or Bob was in that construct for 10 or 15 years and got to the VP level. So we just assume that it's going to take me 15 years and no one else will allow me to grow faster than that. And that to me is ludicrous. Why? Why not start posting? I had a guy, I had a guy tell me, man, he said his dreams died a long ago. Mm. And I was like, my God, man, it just like hit me in the chest. Why have your dreams died? What, what is your dream? And he says, I've always wanted to be a sportscaster. Why do you need permission in this day and age to be a sportscaster at ESPN? There's only like five jobs there. You're thinking about it the wrong way. Be a sportscaster on YouTube. Be a sportscaster independent and talk about the the stuff that you love. And then all of a sudden you're attracting people into your world. You cannot do that in a corporate construct. You do not have the leverage. And so everything from the belief that working harder or longer will get you paid more. To the uh, political landscape of us believing that, hey, I, I want this meaningful job. I'm going to go into Amazon or Facebook or Google, and I, and I and and they people feel like because the pay is higher there that the meaning is higher there too, and it's not. It's the same pushing of paper, and it sucks because. Everybody wants to go in and they want to feel like they're doing something for people and they're solving big problems. And then all of a sudden it devolves into our VP wants us to do this initiative that has zero customer value. Why on earth are we here? Why on earth are we doing this? And then everybody says, we must do this. And our performance management is dictated by that. And you're like, but the customer over here, the customer wants this thing over here. And so then we become disenfranchised and that disenfranchised feeling just continues to you know fester but people don't believe that they can do th- something unconstrained because they they've never been given the tools to do so so they stay and they become complacent And it I just see it happen so much, man. It's going um, through the motions. Going through the motions pilot. There are no life. Yeah, there are no other opportunities. And and I I posted this thing on, on LinkedIn the other day. It's like it's that moment when if you're it's a good analogy for opportunity. There's a moment when you're searching for a car and you identify one out of a out of a mix, you narrow to one. And then all of a sudden you see that car on the road everywhere. Of course. You see it everywhere and you go, oh my gosh. I never used to see this card. Now I see it every. because you're focusing on it. Same goes for opportunity. If you see opportunity within a construct of corporate, then that's the only type of opportunity you will see. Yes. When I go into real estate, all of a sudden I focused on it. I focused on it on a goal, and I said, "You know what? I'm going to create this crazy ass goal of exiting corporate." becoming financially free in two years. I'm going to do it through real estate. I have no idea how I'm going to get there. But that goal is making me subconsciously make actions towards that thing. And every day I'm going to just keep on getting 1% smarter, 1% better. And as soon as I started focusing on it, I started to see abundant opportunity. And then I said, my God, this is a different construct, a different way of thinking, but I only started seeing it when I started focusing on it.
1: Yeah. And I want to talk more about this specifically, the typical you know, corporate job path versus the entrepreneurial path, whatever form that may take. I do want to revisit that conversation a little bit later, but first I want to, I want to take this as a segue now. First, we're going to paint the picture of where you are now, uh, and I'm going to help you do that with a little bit, with a post of yours, a LinkedIn post. And then we're going to unpack this journey. Okay. So here's this post, beautiful pictures of this beautiful house that you had flipped. $675,000 gross profit on this San Jose project that took three months to complete and only 24 hours to sell. Uh, Our team collectively spent a total of 15 hours to get this project to the finish line between getting the home under contract, scheduling subcontractor crews, blah, 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 blah. That 15 hours of time spent for $675,000 or $45,000 in profit per hour worked versus salary in corporate that equated to $200 per hour worked. So you took possession of the property, says here on November 17th. You listed it on the market on February 17th, sold it on February 18th. The sale price was 1.9 million. And so the down payment that you had put down on this property in particular, it was 220,000. Repair budget was a hundred thousand. And then the purchase price off market, I think you
0: purchased it for 1.225. One, two, so two, five, we, I think we sold yeah. that one for one nine.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you sold it for one nine and the gross profit was 675K, Yeah, 15 hours of work. And you've just done this over and over yeah. and over yeah. and over again. And these we, we've done and these nerdy, nice, pretty pictures to accompany it on the, yeah. all these posts make it such a pleasure to read and look yeah. at. So man, just fantastic. I mean, this is your time to brag for a second. How many of these have you done? I, I think I saw yesterday you've acquired $50 million in properties. A lot of it, I think you've flipped. T- tell Paint this picture for me.
0: Yeah. So I'll paint the picture as of right now, and then I'll, I'll kind of go backwards so that people know where this started. This is one of over 30 homes. And this is one of over 30 homes just since September of 2021. Yeah. So Not even pe- a year. Not even a year. So people could be listening and like way later, right? To think about this as like six months to hit that. And you would look at it and say how on earth is that possible it's possible because i started focusing on a different scope a different mindset of opportunity and as soon as i did and as soon as i created a crazy goal that scared the crap out of me my mind started going to work what might be possible i didn't say that's impossible I didn't let a self-limiting belief say, no way, John, you're not allowed to do that. You're not smart enough. I said, what if? And then I started searching. What if? What's the worst that could happen if I try? And it's a lot of like positive self-talk. You know, Sometimes it could be a little crazy. You know, You find yourself talking negatively to yourself and you're like, wait a second, shut the hell up. No, you got this, man. You know? And uh, it's almost like I have a, 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 like a coach on my shoulder. You're doing good, man. Keep going. Keep going. You got this. 1% better today. Good job. And so there's, there's been a, a massive amount of acquisitions. We started this about two years ago, myself, Sarb, we're a building partner, and uh, my good friend, John Ajaku. he and I have known each other since middle school. Um, we went to middle school together. We Sega Genesis with each other in his basement. So, you know, he John went up and the, John for the people, the Johns, man, the Johns. So like he, a law firm, yeah, the John and John law firm. Uh, he, by the way, he's a Stanford graduated law uh, lawyer and uh, very smart guy. But we've known each other since we were we were little. He approached me, and he knew because I had been putting stuff out into the world. And this is where this whole idea of living unconstrained comes from and why I think it's so important to put yourself out into the world because the world responds and comes to you. So I started talking about financial freedom. And he goes, Johnny, do we need to we need to chat? So he calls me up and he says, I, I really want to start a real estate fund. And I said, Okay, okay. I don't know anything about that. <laughs> Full transparent. I know nothing about that. But you have a master's in real estate development. You're a lawyer. I have the social media presence that I've built over the past six years. I love the relationship building side of things. This is my wheelhouse, man. And it fits with my message of my discontent with, uh, with corporate. So, she said, let's invest. So, we invested some money with uh, with a building partner, just doing basic flips. And, and I, mean, this, I mean, while we're talking basic, man, Sarb was just getting started. He's 24 years old, mm. had no capital. We came in, gave him a little bit of capital. He's excited, gets the deals going. And I said, okay, we can maybe do this at scale. So I, I put up a website and I put on the Amazon hat. You know, it's ironic. My discontent with corporate also allowed me to set myself free. Yeah. That, that, that corporate job gave me tools that I didn't have before. And it gave me tools to become analytical. So I'm very grateful for those tools, but I I don't want to stay in that environment, right? So I went ahead and put the website up, and I said, let's put one flip, and I put the experiment hat on back to the James Altucher side of things, right? You do experiment and test, experiment and test as much as possible until something sticks. I had a hypothesis, and I said people would be interested in funding these homes. And the time horizons are very short. People are flush with cash uh, from the economic circumstances, whether it be the stock market or what have you, and, and, and equity growth in their homes. And I think we can really make a run of this. So one house put up there is about a two hundred thousand dollar raise, and it within four days I raised the money, and I was like, "Really? Right. Two hundred grand? I just to, really." And just a couple people believed in me. I said, okay, let's put another one up there. So next day, we put up another house, another 200 grand, another four days. And fast forward a couple months into this process. And I'm talking, we're like three months later, (laughs) not not like a year, three months later, we put a house on the website, $500,000, $600,000, $750,000 raise, two hours funded. And then, and at that point we knew, we knew we really had something. I mean, we're, I think we're over 10 million uh, in capital raised so far, over 50 million in acquisitions. Now it's getting really interesting because family offices are starting to come to us. And I didn't even know what the hell a family office was. All of this stuff is fresh, man. I learn as I go and I leverage other people's knowledge where I don't have the knowledge. And that's where, you know, it's important to, to think about that. It's like we can sometimes want to do something, but then we're blocked because we don't feel like we're an expert. No, we don't We don't need to be an expert. I can leverage John for his expertise in legal and learn from him. And I can learn from his master's in real estate development and a lot of things he's done. I can leverage SARB. I can leverage our structural engineer. I can, So I have massive knowledge just aggregated around me. Yeah. So wherever I need it, I can I can plug into it. So these family offices they come they come out of the woodworks and and I didn't even know what it was. They're very hard to find. They are basically imagine like a LeBron James or a Steph Curry or a Google exec who has lots of money. Well, they have a team of people managing their wealth. Yes, wow. Twenty four seven, and they're deploying mm. that wealth. And these family offices can be small, four or five million dollars of of net worth. Uh, that they're deploying into different strategic projects, 20 million, 50 million, 100. And then some are in the billions. And we talked to a firm the other day and the light bulb just totally went off for me a week ago because we were pitching $8 million portfolio. And for me, I thought 8 million, big money. Yeah. And they said to me, we don't cut check sizes for anything under 50 to 75 million. So when you have a deal like that, come to us. And then we said, help us understand what makes you want a deal like that. What makes it attractive? And then all of a sudden, now I have the criteria. I have the keys in my Mm -hmm. hand to find a deal. So then I started going out to architects and big developers and saying, what do you got in the pipeline? And I uncover, holy crap. I got 197-unit Nashville deal, $65 million, teed up two months away from being completed. The developer, you would would think, why would a developer want to get rid of a project like that? Well, just come to find out that he's building a $300 million theme park, and that $65 million deal, he's just got to get off his plate. Mm -hmm. And so you start asking bigger questions, and then bigger opportunities start coming and so that's that's where i see things going is the fascinating opportunities of brokering massive deals actually is easier ironically than any initiative that i have to just trade 2000 hours a year at in corporate like the politics of moving a single button or changing a color or changing a font at amazon or google is a nightmare and yet all I got to do is pick up a phone and broker a deal and I can make half a million dollars, a phone call.
1: And leveraging other people's money and other people's time Un- and other people's knowledge. Unreal. Unreal. It's mind it's boggling, mind- especially yep, the numbers that that you're talking about. Yeah. And let's go back. You planted a seed for everyone. You mentioned Amazon. Of course, I knew that. You worked at Amazon for a number of years. When... And I know the point at which your friend came to you. You already mentioned that, but when was this dream really implanted in your heart?
0: Yeah, I didn't really start thinking about the idea of freedom until about maybe I don't know, five or six years ago, because I I went I went through a real difficult spot in 2014, and um, I had come off of I had I had a company not a sexy startup by any means. It was an electronics business. I was doing car audio and home theater. Okay. As was like a mini Best Buy, small town, grew to a couple million dollars. Sounds sexy, right? But I didn't make a ton of money because I had 10 employees. And, uh, and I think that's what a lot of uh, uh, people don't understand the entrepreneurial world. I think yeah. there's a threshold or a type of business uh, in the entrepreneurial world. It's more like you've bought yourself a job. Well, that's what I did. I technically... Found myself in a, in a place where I've bought myself a job and I was enslaved to being there every single day. Yeah, of course. Right. I didn't have a system. I was just an operator. Of course. Uh, and that, that's difficult. But anyway, so did that, grew to a couple million dollars in sales, learned a lot uh, about managing a team and what have you. Sold it, had some money, not a massive amount of money by any stretch. Took that money, put it into a second company, company failed. I tried to do a startup for software development uh, in home automation technology. D- it didn't work out for a lot of different reasons. It was in Miami, and uh, so I lost I lost everything I had. And so here I was, really? like, about thirty years old. I lost every dollar I had. Wow! Even though that money was not a big amount of money in the grand scheme of things, for me it was absolute devastation because for me it took me ten years, of course, to get that nest egg. And that 10 years felt destroyed. And then I thought, how on earth am I ever going to make this again? And just, just like everything felt oh so overwhelming. Gosh. Like, the, like I, I had a baby on the way. I'm in Miami. I have to move back to Colorado. We move into this house that basically my in-laws gave us you know, to, to live in there. We were paying just a few hundred dollars a month for rent in this little 900 square foot place. And 900 square feet can be a mansion if you live in Singapore or whatever. So caveat: 900 square feet is a very, very tiny place in in this in this Colorado area. And um, i I couldn't get a job anywhere, like like your uh, brother brother right? It was your brother mm-hmm. that you're talking. And I couldn't get a job anywhere. I was too much. I, I showed myself too much of as as a generalist. And I applied to hundreds of jobs. Couldn't get anything. Wow. After I, building and selling a company, it's insane. I even applied to mm-hmm. companies that were exactly like what I was doing, and I was like, "Man, this is the Twilight Zone." And they just kept thinking, "Well, you the the sentiment was that you're going to steal our ideas and take them away, or some some ridiculous mm-hmm. stuff because you're not an employee, right? You are you are a founder, which is like, no, do, I just need a job, please." Anyway, uh, my bank account drew to zero. I started working at Best Buy. Wow. $12 an hour. Wow. That's insane, man. I uh, walked in there. Yeah, man.
1: This episode is sponsored by Riverside.fm. People always ask me, how do you get your podcast sounding so crisp and clean? Well, Riverside.fm is one of the best tools to get your podcast sounding super professional. It is the easiest way to record podcasts and videos in studio-grade quality from anywhere in the world, all from your browser. So it's super simple, too. And at the same time, has super advanced features like recording both audio and video locally, as opposed to over the internet. So the end result is that you and your guest sound like you're in the same room. So visit riverside.fm and use my code Jordan, capital J, to get 60 minutes free recording and 15% off a membership plan. The 15% discount is applicable to yearly plans or the first three months of monthly plans. Riverside.fm, code Jordan, to get your podcast sounding crisp, clean, and professional. We've got a very different kind of sponsor for this episode, and it's the Jordan Harbinger Show, which is a podcast you really should be listening to. And I know that every day someone tells you, you just have to listen to some podcast, and you nod, and you say, sure, and then you never really listen to it. Don't let that happen here. Jordan Harbinger was actually a guest on this show. I talked to him when he was just starting out the Jordan Harbinger show. It went on to become a smash hit, like millions, millions, millions of downloads every single month. Apple named it one of its best podcasts in 2018, and two episodes that I listened to very early on that still to this day, four years later, still stick out to me. One of them is episode number 28, James Fallon, How to Spot a Psychopath. And then episode number one, Frank Abagnale, Scam Me If You Can. Frank Abagnale, if you recall, was the subject of the really great movie called Catch Me If You Can. Look, plain and simple, supporting my sponsors helps me make this show for you as best as possible. If you go and download Jordan's show After hearing this ad, he'll continue shoveling money in our direction. So show The Jordan Harbinger Show some love. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show, that's H-A-R-B-I-N-G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen. Thank you for the support. If you're looking for a new podcast to add to your tool belt, your repertoire, then I've got the one for you. True Underdog with Jason Waller. Raised in a trailer park with no clear path to success, kicked out of high school multiple times, and faced with becoming a father in his teens, Jason is literally the definition of a true underdog. And today, Jason's the CEO of Power Home Solar. He's got over 2,000 employees, so obviously a breadth of business experience that we can all learn from. On the True Underdog podcast, which by the way has over 180,000 subscribers, he's interviewed Kevin O'Leary, Rick Ross. Barry Sanders. So again, if you're looking for a new podcast similar to this because, you know, I don't release episodes as often as you may like me to, perhaps, well, True Underdog with Jason Waller, that's a great podcast for you. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, really whatever platform you like to listen on. The one you're listening on right now.
0: $12 an hour. Wow. I that's walked, insane, man. I uh, walk in there. Yeah, man. I... Uh, I walked in there and was like, I need a job. And the manager at the time was like, sure, great. Mm. They were looking at me as a deal. they like, wow, you're going to work for $12 an hour? Unbelievable. Start tomorrow. <laughs> right. So I got my little Best Buy shirt on, man. And and um, you know, I just started to kind of try and figure out how to reinvent myself. But that the reason why I build up to that is because it was a moment that broke me out of the psychology of be an employee, work up a ladder and do, do that thing, right? Go get the school, go, go, go up the ladder. And I just started thinking differently because I was, I was just a mess. And so I I said, well, I need to reinvent myself. Who am I without my job? And I started to look at like my self-worth, not detect, not connected to what I did for a living, And all of a sudden I said to myself, well, geez, that's kind of freeing. What's the next step of that? Well, I need to, I need to make, I need to make some money. What do I really want? And I spent like six years, dude, writing and writing and writing and just like focusing on like, what do I want? What is the, what is the sentence? What's the work back strategy for what I want? And I came to this conclusion that what I wanted was to be free. I wanted to just feel freedom. I didn't even know what that, meant. that. yeah. I didn't even know what that meant, but I said I need to make a lot of money first. Mm-hmm. How do I do that? And I need to parlay that into something that can leverage me even further. So I'm a big proponent of finding leverage in life, and um, I just kept looking for the leverage, looking for the leverage. I said, you know, big tech could be a win. I don't have any connections. I'm a little like nobody from Ohio. How do I get into big tech? So I just kept researching, researching. And I created my personal brand and I found other ways to get people to come into my world. And that's where LinkedIn and some of these other strategies came into play. And and then from there, I had a new horizon and I just kept asking myself bigger and bigger questions. Wow.
1: Dude, I didn't know the, anything before Amazon.
0: Yeah. So yeah, when man. does that even come into play? Do the Amazon the Amazon thing comes into play, just fast forward from Best Buy. I got the reinvention. I dude, I took out student loans to get an MBA. I mm. took out student loans to go to software development school. Do you still
1: do you still believe in uh, you still believed in education like that uh, at the time? The, formal the,
0: education. The only reason the only reason I did, man, is ah. because I realized there was a box checking event. Right, of course. <laughs> I, and uh, and I think that there's still worth in it if you're going to play a game. Yes, in corporate, where the yes. people above you believe in it still, so you just have to know what game you're playing. <laughs> right, you do, and um, and so I believe. I knew what I ha- game I was playing, man. <laughs> yeah, dude. I, like, I mean,
1: get me out of here. <laughs> get me out of
0: here, man. I mean, and so like, look, I made some great friends, and I'm 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 very thankful for for the experience and what have you. But like, could I have learned it on my own? Absolutely, of course. So paying to play is not is is not something I. Value. I, I think it's a ridiculous construct within our society, which breeds discrimination, but you know, it's a topic for a different day. And I, but but anyway, so I did those things, got into American Express. So I got I literally got my first six-figure corporate job at like 34. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I was making like 120 grand. 115. I forgot. I forgot what the what the, what the amount was. And Then I started posting like crazy on LinkedIn. I was like, "Okay, I'm gonna." I I knew like LinkedIn was the path to being found for things that I believed in. I just I I was posting. I created this stellar profile. Amazon found me. They contacted me. I thought it was a I thought it was a scam. They even sent me an email. I was like, "I'm not even going to open this." Anyway, I finally talked to the recruiter. I went through the process. Didn't even want the job. Didn't want to move to Seattle. Nothing. And uh, they gave me an offer. It was like Friday, 5 p.m. And I remember it was like getting dark. It's kind of like wintertime and cold in Colorado. My my wife had just put our son to bed and I pulled up the phone and I'm like, go figure. I didn't even want this job, really. And look at this offer. Hmm. And they gave me an insane offer, dude, that started to change my life. And what then I the got offer? it, uh, that? yeah, we're, we're getting, it was, it was about, I believe it was like two, about two seventy five total comp. And, uh, I mean, it felt like a windfall. And then, you know, I, I get there, the, they gave me a, a couple hundred shares of stock at the time. The st- share price was like yeah. eight, $800 a share. I never spent a dollar of that money until I left Amazon four years later. I withdrew the whole amount. That was a, was definitely a a kickoff point. To feeling like I could also leave, you know, and, and I had enough of a, of a nest egg to be like, you know what, I'm gonna try something a little different. Yeah. So why, what
1: strategy went into when you decided to leave? When, so when was that and and why did you pick that point to leave?
0: Well, okay. So four years at Amazon or a lot of these tech companies is kind of like a cliff. They, they call it the cliff and, uh, where your stock package kind of is drained from the initial offer. And they they kind of try to string you along with smaller carrots, but most people try to leave and go get a better offer. I actually did leave. I left and got a better offer. And I went to SoFi. And not a lot of people. Oh, I didn't know. realize
1: you had another job after that. I, I did, thought man. that was your total nope, go into nope. entrepreneurship. It, no, no, very no. interesting. So yeah, this well, is in between the time when we first talked. Uh, yep. like two summers ago, you yep. were still at Amazon, still so at Amazon you,
0: 2021. You, yeah, 2021 okay. I started working for SoFi. Now keep in mind, some of this real estate stuff is happening behind the scenes. Right. Mm. Cause I, I still had this, like, gotta figure this out, gotta find the financial freedom. I don't want to trade 2000 hours a year of my time with an employee mindstra mindset within this construct, I need to find leverage and so that stuff was going on behind the scenes i joined sofi let's just say that i was there for three months both my parents got covid dad was in the er four weeks into me joining that job and i just said to myself man screw this there was some weird initiatives going on some weird stuff going on i'm like i, I can't i cannot do this anymore and that was it dude march or like June, I think it was about June last year where I was out. I had spun up that website for that real estate stuff, September 15th. And from September 15th to today, there's that 50 million.
1: Are you saying a year ago you were still in a job? Did I hear that? Oh, okay. (laughs) It just didn't really, (laughs) very cool. You know, what's for people to hear what's possible.
0: Yeah, man. Like yeah.
1: Just a, a a quick ascent. And this is really, uh, uh, this is your second ascent too. You know, you had that first one probably in your late 20s, yeah. early 30s when Mid you built and sold yeah. that company. I mean, man, the second ascent's got to be like, it's definitely different, right?
0: Definitely different. Yeah. <laughs> and it feels, you know what, man? It just feels, there's not a lot of like, I think if this would have happened in my 20s, there'd, there'd probably be a lot more ego and, involved and what have you. And I I've gone through the roller coaster as many people have and as many people will. Because we all go through those roller coasters. I just I temper that with just a massive amount of gratitude. Because you know, it's just it's just nuts, man. You know, it's hard for me to believe really.
1: Uh Uh-huh. Well I commend you. Let's talk about real estate. I do want to talk about that. Yeah. I already have an idea just based on our conversation last year, yep. How the f are you acquiring all these properties? <laughs> You're <laughs> surely not the one making the cold calls. Now that I'm saying you'd be bad at it, you sure you'd be pretty damn good. Thanks. That man. wouldn't be a valuable use of your Thanks. time.
0: Yeah. So how's this all happening? Yeah. So I'll 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 tell you the whole thing, man. I'm an open book here. There are wholesalers. A lot of people don't understand that they're or or not that they don't understand. And a lot of people who are you know working their day jobs and they they think like. They need to go on Redfin, and they need to search for properties that are on the market. Well, just like Nike has a wholesale market for their shoes and a retail market for their shoes or any other company that sells to Home Depot or what have you at wholesale and Home Depot goes and turns it around at re- retail, the same applies in the real estate world. So there are tons of wholesalers out there. Some of them are shady as hell. Some of them are not. goes for any industry, right? Yeah. And. You find a couple of them and what the wholesalers do is they do all the door knocking. They know the neighborhoods, they canvas. I don't want to get involved in that. Let them make their 20 grand or 50 grand assignment fee mm-hmm. to me. So prior to closing, so they'll go to somebody's house and they'll go, hey, we'll do a quick close 15 days and they'll have a clause in the contract. The clause in the contract will say, we, we have the ability to reassign this to somebody else. So then they call me and they go, "We got a deal." So we go to the property, or Sarb goes to the property because I'm because I'm in Denver, so he's at the eyes on the ground. And he says, "Yep, numbers work." And we do a basic cost per square foot calculation of what you know what the estimated value will be afterwards. And we can get some, you know, we 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 have some appraisals and, and things that that we can leverage for 600 bucks. You can get an appraisal, and they'll tell you exactly what they think it's going to be worth conservatively. So, we work backwards and say, hey, there's this much profit in the deal. And and we can talk about some of those details uh, after this piece. But they uh, assign that contract over to us. We pay a slight premium, but it's never on the market. So, we don't pay a huge premium. And then there are uh, a number of realtors as well. There are plenty of realtors who have been in the game for 20 years and they are the top of the funnel. And you think that they're just in the business of listing homes on the market and touring and what have you. No, they also have access to all of the off-market deals. And so you find a couple of these top agents and their whole agency from the broker down and all the individuals who work in the firm, they do powwows every week and they say, hey, here's the off-market ones, here's the ones coming. And so they all know what's going on. And there's a lot of reasons why certain properties are off-market they are in horrible condition yeah, yeah. and they're not suitable for the market they're not they're not suitable and and also the the main reason they're not suitable is because the large majority of people buying a home are first time home buyers or they're living in the home mm-hmm. well traditional banks are not going to give you a 30 year mortgage on a house unless it's in livable condition and there's yes. a bunch of criteria that they have set forth but so they're not going to put it on the market and they're going to make a quick buck by making a couple phone calls Right? they that realtor can can make thirty grand fifty grand by literally making a call and once again it's an industry that doesn't commoditize time we in this world can pick up a phone call based on relationships and make a hundred grand that's what somebody else spends two thousand hours a year working in a job doing and this is just a phone call so the beauty of some of these top agents they have access and they Pitch us a lot of those deals. So 50% of our deals are wholesalers, 50% of our deals are projects that come from realtors. Some of the projects that are on the market, they're overpriced. But if we see an overpriced property with a high price per square foot on the sell side, if we just put a 500 square foot addition, all of a sudden that property is a deal. So there's a lot of ways we look at it that way too.
1: Yeah. So, for people who don't know, the wholesaler's job, in short, is to find a good deal. They will supply the flippers. That's right. People who are actually going to go in and do the work. That's right. With those good deals for that 10, 15, I think 15 is the average, maybe 20, grand. Yeah. In $1, California, $1 they can
0: get away with some crazy premiums. For sure. But uh, yeah, 10 grand, 20 grand, very common.
1: Yeah. And so, it sounds like for that wasn't the deal that I read off a little while ago cuz that had a down payment on it that sounds like that one came from a realtor am i right so each or of on these, the market or something
0: each of these houses there's so many of them i, yeah, there's so many. I don't know if that landfair property was off market i think there's a story story of like a bunch of meth heads living in the house or something uh, i believe it was off market um but
1: with a down you did not you didn't it didn't sound like you went in bought it all cash because there was a down payment there. That's what no. I'm trying to get at.
0: Oh yeah. So let, let's look at the other layer of this, right? There's yes. the sourcing side and there's the funding side.
1: Yeah. yeah. So we've covered That's the source. What I'm getting at the funding. Like what, yeah, what, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: like what the hell is going on here? Yeah, yeah. How are you able to do this? Okay. So the sourcing side, you know, if you spend about a year and you're really consistent, then more and more people will pile on because they know, Hey, these people are going to just like take anything that meets meets the criteria. Oh, so it's easy for them. So we've established that relationship. That's great. Now, the, the, the funding side, there's a bunch of hard money lenders. Yep. People go, what the hell is a hard money lender? Well, there are institutions or banks. You can go to U.S. Bank or Wells Fargo tomorrow and try to get a mortgage. First thing they're going to do is they're going to ask for your W-2 income. <laughs> right? Right. Uh, but now hard money lenders are different. Now, some hard money lenders focus on new uh, flippers, new builders. They have a higher percent return because they're taking on more risk to onboard new people, but they're constantly looking to get that capital working. So willing to take risks. And so some hard money lenders, and you can Google search hard money lenders anywhere. You could say hard money lender, Florida, and all yeah, of a sudden you're going to they're, see they're like, everywhere. 10 listings. They're everywhere. Mm-hmm. So you go to the hard money lender and uh, you open up a relationship and they don't care at all about W2 income. What they care about is relationships. That's it. They care about relationships, which is fascinating. And one builder about two years ago, he said to me, John, you need to become bankable. And I didn't know what that meant. He says, you need to have a relationship. You need to get one small deal under your belt so that these institutions trust you to deliver. And then all of a sudden, every single capital firm in the country will start calling you and competing for your business. And they will throw money at you as long as the deals make sense.
1: Oh, so even like a traditional bank?
0: No, no, no. These oh, are all hard money no. lenders. So oh, I got you. No, no, no traditional bank likes to deal with this yeah. stuff because these hard money lenders are only focused on- You said on,
1: institution. I got confused.
0: Yeah, yeah. Apologies. Well, some of them are institutions, if you will. I mean, they're kind of like big hard money lenders. But anyway, yeah, they will, they will basically look at the deal- And they will say, uh, we'll give them a repair budget and they will say, okay, the ARV, the after repair value is 2 million and you bought it at 1.5. Seems like there's a big enough spread in the deal. Uh, This is de-risked for us. We'll happily capitalize this at 85% to value of the finished product. So they'll give you the funds to do the rehab. They will give you the funds for 85% of the deal. And then of that... 15% 15% remaining gap funding, Yes, we can do two things. We can put our own money into the deals, which many deals we, we do, or we put it into our community and our community fundraise it. So a lot of the projects that we fund are able to be funded through our community.
1: Fascinating, man. And I've been in this world for a year as well, not nearly with the same results as you. <laughs> you you're like, literally, it's just insane. Insane, inspiring, whatever word. I've used it. Thanks, see, man. A couple of different Appreciate words. It. But and there's so much more for me to learn from you. So, so so so,
0: so anytime, much. Man. Happy to happy to chat.
1: Yeah. What would we, and we could go into the whole real estate like rabbit hole? I could talk real estate with you forever. But yeah, yeah. I mean, what would you say? I'm gonna ask you two questions, take them one at a time. What would you say to encourage people to get into real estate? And what would what would you say to discourage people to get into real estate? So first encourage.
0: Yeah. On the encouraging side, I just want everybody to know that school and corporations treat our time as a commodity, but your time is of infinite value. People, talk, people say these phrases like, I'm not being paid my worth. You will never be paid your worth, ever, no matter what your corporate salary is. I don't care if you got a bonus or you got a 50% raise at the next company. You will never be paid your worth because you can never get your time back. So realize upfront that your time is not a commodity and realize upfront that we have to find ways to get our time back. We're never going to be able to do it by trading our time for dollars, never. So real estate is one of the best vehicles where you can maximize leverage to get an asset that in most all cases for the past 60 years at least has been inflation proof. My wage is going, my buying power every year as inflation is going up is is going way down. So even if you make $200,000 a year and you get a 3% raise, well, inflation is 7%. So you actually now every single year, you're losing your buying power And in 20 or 30 years, it starts adding up to a massive amount. So wages do not increase with the rate of inflation. Houses do. And so we have to do everything we can to understand this world. And no educational institution will teach us this stuff. And so we have to just say, I'm going to get 1% better every day, which compound is 3,600% for the year. And I'm going to give myself grace to learn everything I can. I'm going to just have one meeting tomorrow with some developer, and I'm going to just Understand what he does, and I'm going to meet this realtor over here and compound, and that's what I did. I didn't have any formal education in it. I, I was I'm not smarter than anybody else at all. Every literally everyone has the capability of doing this as long as they start focusing on it as a priority, and it is a priority because our time is not a commodity. Yeah.
1: Well, I was going to ask where do people start, but it sounds like you know meeting that one developer, meeting that one realtor. That doesn't necessarily mean the way to do this is to become a realtor. It's probably not the most efficient path. That's kind of a a job, I would say. Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, there, you
0: know. there's so there's there's so many ways to do it, and it can become could be a uh, stepping stone, but yeah, it could be a stepping stone, but all of it can feel overwhelming. Just like a job market, if you tie it sure. back to that world, that's overwhelming. Everything that you start is overwhelming, and I tie it back to one thing. There are a lot of companies now, as an analogy that focus on teaching you a language in a very short period of time. If you look at the English language or any other language, you have a massive dictionary of words, right? Hundreds of thousands of words. And you go, oh my God, that's overwhelming. But really, if you break it down, there's only about 2,000 words or 3,000 words, which equates to less than 1% of the words are 99% of every day's conversation. So tie it back to real estate. I can become an expert in real estate with 1% of that total book of knowledge. And so you just start having the conversations. You just keep asking the questions. And for me, the goal was a very important factor here. Some people have a goal and they say, I want to retire in 25 years. Okay, well, your real estate strategy is going to align with that. Some people, like myself, I said, I want this audacious, crazy goal. I'm going to dream super big here. And I I want to be financially free in two years. I said that to my financial advisor and he looked at me and literally him and his partner laughed in my face because they thought it was like ludicrous. And I'm like, no, no, guys, seriously. So my goal dictated the type of real estate strategy I wanted. Why did we do flips? We did flips because we wanted Faster cash. We wanted to build up a nest egg of cash as fast as possible so we could have a runway. So think about your goal first. What is your goal? And if you have a big, audacious goal, your strategy of, hey, I might want to just do rental properties at $400 cash flow here or there. Well, great. Maybe that works for you. Yeah, for sure.
1: That's definitely uh, my path. My path isn't necessarily like building the big nest egg, it's just like financial freedom in the sense that your expenses are. $4,000 Four thousand or five thousand a month, and your income is yeah, you know, ten thousand a month. That's right. I don't really, quite, quite a bit. More. I don't really. For me personally, in my life, I don't know that I really care about the you know the massive spreads. I like to just living comfortably each and every day, each and every month.
0: You know, you um, know so that plenty- that four hundred dollar month cash flow does excite me. Yeah, actually. dude, totally, totally. And 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 so sometimes you know you, you think about like a big portfolio or what have you. But really, and I talked to Maurice about this. You know, who who posts a lot of stuff on on. Yes, LinkedIn I had Maurice on a
1: few weeks ago. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, and I talked to Maurice. Great, great guy, great guy. Great guy. And so, you, know, we were talking about financial freedom. Does not need you don't need to have a hundred million dollar portfolio of real estate to be financially free. And I'll give you one very basic example. I was super strategic about the money that I made from Amazon. I took a portion of that money. I put a down payment on a new construction. I was literally, I was building this house here in Denver. I have a renter in the back. If I turn that into a, so she, she pays 40, 40 something percent of, uh, of my mortgage. So here, here I have this house. She's paying a large portion of my mortgage. I'm living super simple. I have equity in the property to leverage out even further to buy other properties. But the reality is, man, if I left here tomorrow, I could because of the short term laws in this in this neighborhood. and I was very strategic about getting into this neighborhood. I could short term rental the back at five thousand dollars a month, validated by numerous properties who are doing it in this neighborhood. A lot of uh, traveling nurses and what have you are trying to rent and and their companies are paying for them to live you know yep. pretty well that's one angle i could rent my main house short term rental in total i could make a net cash flow on this house monthly 10 grand net after all expenses because of a, how i was strategic with just one property so uh, i think there's a misconception that you need a shitload of properties to be free you really don't yeah you need one strategic property
1: yeah to do it dude I own my property, and I can go anywhere in the world. Absolutely, like I did last month. Yeah, I was in Mexico yep. all last month because I rented st- it out for a sticky month. Sticky toilets, bro. Yeah, exactly. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> and you know, four thousand dollars a month net, right there, bang. Absolutely, you know? man. And expensive. and I just I'm securing one right now. It's actually yeah. going to be a little higher. It's going to be at four thousand five hundred a month. It's just
0: one property. Yeah, just one property, man. One strategic play. So, um, but it all comes back to your goal, right? If you want the Location freedom, your goal is maybe going to be a little different than than mine. If you want the financial freedom, and depending on your time horizon, all of that is going to shift the strategy. Strategy, yeah. And so John, asked-
1: I want to oh, yeah, go, ahead. go ahead. No, I want to be respectful of your time, but I do have a couple more questions.
0: Yeah, dude, uh, go ahead. Go ahead.
1: Quick cautionary. Well, is there any cautionary words that you would have before people get into real estate?
0: Yeah, I had a call about this super sexy deal just this morning, right before right before I talked to you. And it was a deal that was keeping me up at night. Uh I was like pacing around at 1230 last night, like, man, uh, what are we gonna do here? Cause we're looking we're looking to sign on this deal. It's the most expensive zip code in the United States. The acquisition price of the property is about 7.5 million. We turn it around, sell it for 13 million. But you know, it has gotta put two million into the deal. It's you're talking with the, you're talking about a clientele that is just a different breed and um, everything has to be impeccable and perfect and they will judge any bad decision you make and the realtors will start talking shit like it could turn very bad. And so we look at the numbers and we say, this is very sexy. And I got on the phone with like five people this morning and I said, guys, I'm out. Mm. I'm out. And I said – Have you posted about this one before? Um, I've posted about another opportunity as well that that we looked at. Yeah, same zip code. Very sexy deal, very meaty, couple million dollars in the deal, lots at stake. Uh, I take a deep breath, and this is what people should do like take a deep breath, remove the emotion. Um, you can get emotion buying your own residence, but don't get emotional about buying some kind of investment and ask yourself the question what is the exit strategy? if things go south. yeah, how, and, and how many of them are there? There's one property that um, that we have in um, Sacramento and it's an eight unit housing development. It's 2,500 square foot houses, little neighborhood of eight houses. And uh, for California, 1.2 million, our, our sell price on these houses, 1.2 million is like a starter home price. But our entry cost on those houses is about 800,000, which is below the median of that entire market. And I look at it and I say, not only am I below the median, but I could rent these houses out and actually cash flow because our price is low. I could sell numerous lots if things went south. Um, we could fire sale the homes at a million bucks or even nine 900, still make a little bit, which would be almost impossible to not do in that scenario. So I try to find exit strategies. Even if you're buying a primary residence as your very first play into real estate, so many people I know, I mean, especially in California, I think it's it's elevated there because the prices are so high. People get emotional about things and I hear them say things like, oh, it's a stretch, but oh my gosh, it's my dream home. It's like, don't put yourself in that situation because what happens if you need to move next year? Can you cash flow in that home on your primary residence? Can you short-term rental it? Is that even allowed? Like, if if you, what if happens if your wife or you lose your job? We think that these jobs are like safe bets. No, they are not safe bets. Your entire life is at the hands of one person above you who gets to judge whether you're good or not. And that's a subjective opinion. And political things shift all the time. So yeah. can you afford it if one person loses their job or, or what have you? And I just always think about the exit, man. And don't, don't think about the emotion. Good tip. Thanks, dude.
1: So <laughs> <laughs> the two things I want to end on. Yeah. Comments, closing comments on the traditional path, the corporate narrative, and then your keys to freedom. Yeah. And yeah. so I want you to go, I, I'm going to tee it up for you. Yep. Not even going to try to pretend to be ambivalent. I am biased. I'm going to, I want you to go I hard know in the you're paint, biased. I know hard you're in biased. the paint,
0: hard in the paint against right. the traditional path. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh,
1: dissuade people from that shit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. I, look, I had a rough time. I had a rough time. Some people have great experiences. I don't think that's the norm. The data points to it not being the norm. 70% of people are, are really discontent based on a lot of uh, studies out there. So Finding the unicorn dream job should not be the end goal. That's where people make the mistake. They think that the path to fulfillment is finally landing on the unicorn. It's like betting on a number, right? It's like being at a casino. How do you, there's so many facts, think about it, the reality of this. There's so many factors you can't control. I join a team The shuffle. The shuffle happens every year and a half, two years, constant restructuring, constant reorgs. You, you build up relationships with people. All of a sudden, the relationships get gets pulled under the rug from you because, because the new VP brought in his core team or her core team. And then you're on a moat. You're just by yourself. You got to build up relationships again. People get stuck in these endless cycles, relying on other people to be who they want to be and to be where they want to be, relying on getting permission to be where they want to be. And it sucks, man. It just sucks the life out of you. And some people are lucky. They find the job. And, and I don't discourage people to find fulfillment, but I feel like that is a short-term goal. Finding career fulfillment is short. Finding freedom from that construct is the goal. We should be running towards that goal. Our, I, For me, I feel like my life literally depends on it. Because I look at time as a, commodity, as, a, as a scarce resource, not as a commodity. And I recognize, man, we're, we're only going to be alive for so long. What guarantee do we have? Everybody says, oh, well, when you retire at 65. Oh, pff, do I want to rely on that? Right. Hell no. I want to get the hell out of the system as fast as possible. Let me leverage it to make as much money as possible, live simply so that I can get out you know, play, play a two bucket strategy. I always talk about the two bucket strategy. Bucket number one is do your career thing. That's fine. Do it. Right. And if you're de-energized by that, all the more reason that you should be putting everything into finding another path. And man, real estate is the best leverage you're possibly going to have because I always joke with my partner and I take it, I I try to take it down to like earth. And I'm like, dude, if we make a hundred grand on this deal, That's a really good corporate salary. Some of these people in this whole real estate world are like, oh, dude, it's a really juicy deal. And like, I'm not interested in making anything. Like, they're jaded by it all. I'm not jaded. I went through the corporate. I look at 100 grand and I go, I know how hard I have to work in that environment. I know that I got to work 12 hours a day and I got to be praying to God. That the whole sphere around me gives me a solid performance review based on all of their frigging subjective opinions, so that I could work out ten more grand. No, Mm -hmm. no, right? That's not that's not the way that we should be looking at life. And if you think about life is super short, and that time is finite, then you start waking up and you go, "Holy shit!" You know, I, I like a lot of Greek philosophers talk about like you should focus on death. And it sounds morbid to us in, in, in Western society, we focus on death, but like do, because all of a sudden you wake the hell up and you go, why am I doing this? I got a buddy, I got a buddy in, uh, I won't give it away. I won't say the location here, but I got a good friend from college. And he constantly says to me, John, like, I'm just, you know, kind of going through the motions. Like I got a good job. I'm like, dude, think bigger. Life is short. He's like, but I don't know what else to do. I'm like, your life depends on it, man. Like you're literally going through the motions every day. Time is accelerated. You wonder where the past 10 years has gone because you're doing the exact same crap every single day on autopilot. Most all jobs in about one year, we can totally be an auto- autopilot. I remember at Amazon, I'm like, oh my God, here's another one of these meetings. Okay, I'm going to do my workout while this meeting is going on because mm-hmm. nobody's ever going to call me. It's just ludicrous. So anyway, I was in the paint. How'd I, how'd I do?
1: I'm with you. Uh, you did good. You did right. very good. All right. As always. <laughs> and uh, people should follow you on LinkedIn, John Thanks, Hardy. You go really hard over there. <laughs> I go hard. I really, uh, it, you're like my, you just embody my entire, my, my spirit. I'm I'm your spirit animal? LinkedIn. You are my spirit animal. I was going to say that, but I didn't want to sound too weird. But thanks for saying it.
0: It's all right. I'm your spirit (laughs) unicorn. I I had a guy from from LinkedIn. He works at LinkedIn. He's actually like the chief of engineering at LinkedIn. Mm. And he uh, messaged me and was like, dude, I really, I just like want to like quietly message you here and say, like, I really disagree with you. And you make me feel like I'm doing things wrong, even though I think I'm doing them right. You know, I get those messages a lot from, from the people who are content, but dude, even if you are, if you need that next paycheck to live, because even your bills are too high, or just, you just need it to live. You are never free. Yes. And So why not take the shot?
1: Totally. Keys to freedom. Where are we ending here? One or two, three, maybe three things.
0: Yeah, keys to freedom, man. Setting the right, setting the right goal within the right construct. If you want freedom, then you have to set the right type of goal, and you have to scare yourself.
1: Yeah. Reverse so, engineering.
0: Reverse engineering. That was
1: kind of that. was definitely a through line of yeah. Of reverse engineering yeah.
0: what you want and try to think about it without a construct, because what you want is happiness. And then all of a sudden you have a societal script that gets plugged in. Oh, well, happiness means go to school, get the job, get a good paying job, get all this stuff. We've heard this narrative a million times, right? But subconsciously, that is what we are all thinking behind the scenes because we don't have another script. We don't have another program to think about. We've never been taught to not commoditize our time. And we're never going to be taught that either because there's utility. What's good for society is not good for you, right? There's utility in everybody working all these jobs. We need these services. We need these things, right? There's utility, but there's a small percentage of us who are going to wake up and say, I really want freedom and I want it now. Yes. And if you say that, then subconsciously your brain is going to start working on meeting people who have it already. And getting inspired by people outside of the employee construct.
1: Beautiful spot to end on. John Marty, you're the man. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks, man. Great to be here.
1: There you have it, my friends. This has been another episode of Building Freedom. My only hope for this podcast, my aim is that this inspires you to build a freer, fuller life, one where you're not enslaved By a business, whether that be your business or any other business, whether you're a business owner or self-employed. The aim of this show is to help you build a freer, fuller life. And there are many ways to do that. And that's what we showcase on this show each week. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, be well.